Welcome to the Activation Podcast, brought to you by the Conscious Resistance Network. I'm your host, Derek Bros. With every episode of the Activation, we'll explore solutions in the areas of health, permaculture, decentralized technology, spirituality, and hidden truths. The Activation Podcast is focused on providing cutting-edge solutions to empower humanity. This is Derek Bros with the Activation Podcast. And today I'm excited I have returning guest, Catherine Austin Fitz, who was with me more than a year ago, December 2021, as we were preparing for her previous appearance at The Greater Reset, which she will be doing again this year, The Greater Reset 4, find at thegreaterreset.org. And we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation here today covering what's ahead for 2023. I also polled my audience and we got a lot of questions for you, Catherine. So let's get started. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I was just laughing. Uh we uh last week on Money and Markets our our theme was Mr. Reality versus Mr. Global. And I just have to compliment you and what you're doing and all the things you do, but also with the conference on uh you keep trying to interest people in reality and it's great. <laughs> so and yeah. it's not only interest in reality, but getting something accomplished in reality, which is even more important. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you for that, Catherine. I appreciate that. And I feel like that's what you, you know, you do at Solari as well is trying to have important conversations. And, you know, I want to pick up for where we left last year. For those who didn't see that, I will put the link in the show notes to our conversation. This was December 2021 activation episode number 12, fighting economic terrorism and spiritual warfare. So we talked about a lot in that episode. We talked about crypto and blockchain, of course, uh, yeah. spirituality and you know, Wall Street and so much more. And we're going to, pick up some of those conversations, but let's just start maybe with some, some current events or recent events. Um, the, the stage is clearly set for anybody paying attention for CBDCs to begin rolling out. I would say in some places this year, and already we're seeing New York fed and others testing digital currency transfers and things like that. Um, we've also seen this recent situation with the FTX uh, scandal collapse psyop, depending on your, you know, your, uh, your analysis there, in my my perspective, I think it's setting up uh, a call for this is why we need CBDCs and things like that. But yeah, why don't we start there with the, just the recent events of 2022, the blockchain space, the FTX scandal and uh, CBDCs as far as your thoughts on that and, and where you think that's all leading. So so what we've seen in, in, in 2022 is an effort to assert more and more invasive control within the um, within the financial system. So more rules from the online payment, more censorship from the online payment, more effort to control through whether it's sanctions on the Russians or sanctions through your credit card company. So the the financial system is moving in for more and more control. And there's more data collection that ultimately down the line can be used for control. Now, we know the ultimate control is going to be the CBDCs, or or at least that's where the central bankers want to go. Um, I'm not a great believer that they're necessarily going to get there. And um, uh, what's important, I think, our lead story and our wrap-up for 2022, Derek, is in fact the inflation story. Because if you look at how much money the central bankers have created and the extent to which we are seeing inflation growing tremendously throughout the globe, but, but throughout the developed markets where inflation has been kept in check heretofore before the going direct reset started, the central bankers have a challenge and that is how are they going to manage 
inflation and how are they going to create demand destruction and calibrate it to offset the inflation? And my concern is they're not going to get to a real CBDC system in the best of worlds before 2025 to 2030. And so how are they going to manage inflation? And I am concentrating in 2023. The thing that makes me most nervous is to to create that machinery to do demand destruction to offset the inflation. You either need a very significant recession or you need the rules and regulations that they're trying to create through the WHO mechanism and the ability to kind of lock down the economy whether the excuse is pandemics and healthcare or the excuse is climate change. So I would want you to think in terms of an interim step between, between where they are in terms of sort of locking down through the financial system and how are they going to get from here to complete control with CBDCs in their minds. Again, I'm not convinced they're going to get there. So I think the big push in 2030 or 2023 is going to be to try and use the WHO and other healthcare mechanisms to get the kind of control they need to get them between, you know, they can slam on interest rate or they can raise interest rates and slam on inflation to a certain extent. The problem, if they try and do everything with monetary policy and, and interest rates, you know, the general population is going to figure out, oh, we have a problem and it's called the bankers. Yeah. If they use the WHO and healthcare and climate change, they provide themselves with a shield to protect themselves as they try to sort of destroy demand and do demand destruction in the economy. You know, you bring up an important point there, and I, I think you kind of already answered my question here, but let's just make it more clear. Um, do you believe, and I think that the signs point to this, that the COVID operation, let's call it, was just another form of papering over the the inflation that has been going on. You know, you've been reporting on years for the missing trillions, and we can look at the COVID stimulus relief. We can look at billions going to Ukraine and numerous examples like this where it's clear that inflation should be expected. Is it, for your mind, is that what, or at least, let's say, one aspect of COVID right. and what we've so the last couple the, years? COVID-19 was an operation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a combination of many things. To me, the most important way of describing it is a mass atrocity, because I think the numbers are clearly in on what the injections are doing. And if anything, we're dealing with a mass atrocity. But um, if you look at the economic side, COVID-19 was a phenomenal. If your goal is to centralize the economy and put everybody in in a state of fear so you can centralize the economy in all the various ways they're doing it from control of the food supply to basically taking stealing small business and small farming market share and moving it into the big publicly traded companies. COVID-19 was a fantastically profitable and successful operation. That's what you need to understand. It, it was hugely successful for the purpose for which it was intended. Yeah, and I, I just want to make that clear in case anybody who is hearing this hasn't quite understood that part. Of course, people are questioning the shots and questioning lockdowns and mandates as they should, but understanding the economic background is, as you guys have been doing a great job at Solari talking about um, the going direct reset and BlackRock's involvement prior to this whole situation. Um, I want to play devil's advocate here for a moment, and just in case anybody hearing this is, is skeptical about the inflation, and then we can dig in further to it. Uh, I, my buddy John Bush sometimes will say this in his talks. He's like, whenever I was younger and I first started to get into Ron Paul and I was really concerned about the inflation, he went to his parents and started saying, hey, the Fed's doing this. You know, we're going to see inflation. And his dad said something to the effect of, 
Son, I can take you upstairs to the attic and show you a book I have from the 1970s claiming that inflation is about to hit and, uh, you know, collapse is happening. Um, so are the, the devil's advocate question is here, are the claims of inflation overblown or is it truly that we are now in a timeline where it's, it's at a point where there is just no going back? And as you said, so, as, so I, you know, I form, to disagree with John Bush's yeah. dad because if yeah. you know what inflation has done to erode the wealth of the American people. You know, we have been steadily eroded by the way the dollar has been managed for decades now. So, in fact, inflation has been very successful at 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 sort of harvesting the general population. It's a very sneaky way to do it. But let me use some numbers that I used in our annual wrap up, Derek. If you go to the Chapwood Index, which is one of my tools for following uh, the price inflation, not monetary inflation, but the price inflation, because um, if you look at the Fed's own statistics, monetary inflation has been quite dramatic and quite significant. But if you follow price inflation of household goods, the Chapwood Index is a very useful tool to use. It was created by an investment advisor who was concerned about what inflation was doing to the purchasing power of his mother. And um, he put together an index that shows for 50 met- the 50 largest metropolitan areas in the United States what the price inflation is of a basket of the common household goods. So this is what you and I have to have to deal with in terms of the the increased expense of the things we need to buy to run a household, whether it's food or energy or the other things. So if you go to the Chapwood Index, what you will find is that in the last five years, in most jurisdictions in the United States, most big cities, the 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 price inflation has ranged from 8% in the area where I live in Tennessee up to 14% in Silicon Valley is sort of how it's averaged. Now, that is much higher than the official statistics, and the average American can can tell you that the real inflation they're dealing with is much higher than the real statistics. Okay, so so uh the last year that the Chapwood Index shows numbers for is June 30th, uh 2021 to June 30th, 2022. So starting about seven months ago or ending about seven months ago. So if you take the number one highest rate for the 50 metropolitan areas for that period, it's Chicago at 18.83%. That rate is almost double what it was the year before. The year before, I think it was about 10%. So it's up almost 90% in Chicago. If you look at the top 10 metropolitan areas with the highest inflation rates, um, they're all above 18%. Columbus, Ohio, above 18%. Now, if I take you on a map of the world and I show you Europe, Europe is in fact ranging from about 10% up to over 20% in the um, in the Baltic states and in some of the Eastern European countries. Um, and if you look around the world, Argentina at 80%, you even have a few outliers above 100% inflation. So inflation is very real and very significant. And one of the reasons the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates steadily following the market up is because they know they can't let inflation run out of control. If they lose control of inflation, they lose control. But the other thing is what they need more than anything is to preserve the market share of the dollar. And if the dollar continued to depreciate the way it was uh, depreciating, you know, a year or two ago, 
then the dollar could lose significant market share. And so one of the things that um, Powell and the Federal Reserve are doing are making sure we have a strong dollar. And that strong dollar enables the Fed globally to keep a lot of the people who've dollar, borrowed dollars in a, in a dollar bear trap. So if you, if you look at what the Fed is doing, um, the Fed is basically ending the era of what's called cheap capital. And the partition in the oil markets is ending the era of cheap energy. And there's not a household on the planet that is not dealing with the expense of rising interest rates and the expense of rising energy. So that, that kind of brings me to what I want to focus on now is the, you, you're touching on the, the real effect, right? I notice sometimes when I'm having conversation on podcasts or just when people hear conversations or read stuff about inflation or the Fed made these moves or interest rates, for some people it's very abstract or they don't necessarily think like how this is going to affect them on a day-to-day basis. But like you were saying there, energy costs, housing costs. And you also touched on a moment ago the mention of recession uh, I wanted to see what you what you, what you think that's going to look like and different from 2008. I want to note that the World Economic Forum, who is meeting in two weeks at the same time, we're going to be hosting the Greater Reset. Right. They're they announced their themes for this year, and one of those themes is they they even phrased it the R word. We don't want to say it, but a global recession is you know more than likely on the way is sort of how they framed it. So they're even acknowledging in their own meeting that this is something that's on the horizon. Could we talk more about if that is the case and the inflation leads to that? What will that look like for the average person? So, so there are many different ways recession can happen and go down, but I want to go back to John Bush's father. Um, it is possible to to manage an economy where you are, and, and we saw this with the going direct reset, you inject money that goes to your friends and you engorge the part of the economy you want to grow, but you, you pull capital and, or you lock down the small business, destroying their businesses. And so the guys who you've injected money to can pick them up for cheap and buy them for cheap. So, so, what you're talking about doing is starving certain parts of the economy while you engorge other parts of the economy. You're playing winners and losers. You're playing favorites. Okay. So, so you don't have to have a collapse. You can simply, you know, destroy certain parts of the, or harvest certain parts of the economy to enrich other parts of the economy, winners and losers. And so you're, you're not dealing with a collapse. You're dealing with a slow burn that slowly harvests or, or, uh, eviscerates certain parts of the economy to offset against other parts of the economy. Does that make sense? So it's, it's not a collapse or it's not just a general recession because there are parts of the economy that you want to grow fast that are growing gangbusters. So, so with that in mind, then certain sectors of the economy will then probably benefit the people who are the winners, right? And then obviously other areas are losers. Um, do you think it's as simple as the people will be the losers, the average person and, you know, Wall Street will be the winners or, so, you know, no, that's a sectors? little bit too simple, but a perfect example. There was a wonderful debate on, um, one of the network news where Andrew Sorkin was having a squabble with Rick Santilli right in the middle of the evening news. Because Santilli made it, made, uh, said it made no sense to shut down in a shopping mall to leave Costco open and then shut down the small businesses in the shopping center, you know, because of the, of COVID and the pandemic. 
And Andrew Sorkin was explaining, no, it was perfectly, that was the science. You were safe from the magic virus in Costco, but not in the small businesses. And it made absolute sense according to the science. And Santilli is looking at him like he's absolutely nuts, right? But that's what you're doing. You're shutting down the small businesses and that market share is easily moved to the publicly traded stores that allowed to stay open, right? And that's a disaster capitalism game, all engineered under the, under the rubric of a, you know, of a magic virus. And that's why I'm so concerned about what the WHO is up to and what will happen if they're able to get these amendments in the new WHO treaty, because then you'll see a machinery that can selectively shut down you know, any part of the economy on a variety of very excuses in a way that will benefit, you know, the insiders and their businesses. Do you think that, you know, the the World Health Organization, you're talking about the international health uh, regulation, these amendments, this treaty is kind of like the catch-all term everybody's using. Is that, I mean, for, for my view, it looks like clearly just another step to solidifying the infrastructure for world government to, like you said, they've already said if it's about pandemics or climate or whatever, if the who says it, then participating governments who want funding would more than likely, you know, go along with it to get the funding or to comply. Do you, is that how you see it? Like this is just one more step in a, to me, it's kind of a marketing program for CBDC because once you've got digital identity, Once you have digital IDs and CBDC, you won't need any of that. I mean, you might keep it, but you won't need it. But until you get complete lockdown through the financial transactions grid, you know, and and sort of digital technology and chipping, you need something to get you from here to there that leaves the bankers from getting overly exposed. You know, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to face a crowd with a guillotine, right? So, so using healthcare is, has been very, very successful. And obviously there's so many people who get their health care through their workplace. And I would guess most major insurers and healthcare providers would follow World Health Organization recommendations and go along with that. So it seems like, and this is a conversation we've had and I've talked about in my book that the more kind of plugged in you are in certain ways, that it will become more difficult to avoid some of these systems. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, obviously this, the reason I started this podcast is solutions focused. So we're covering the problems so we can get to the solutions. But, you know, with this World Health Organization treaty and then, you know, like you said, the CBDCs, maybe it'll take longer than they anticipate. But in the meantime, they'll have workarounds. Uh, there's so many people when I ask like, hey, what do you have for questions for Catherine this morning? And some are just as simple as what is the best piece of advice you have? How can I avoid the CBDCs? You know, there's so many people who I think are really desperately looking for answers. So, so f- so there are many solutions and I, you know, that obviously that's what we want to focus on. Let me just tell you, I, once upon a time, I was a person who had lots of insurance. You know, I had wonderful healthcare insurance, I had catastrophic insurance, I had disability insurance. I got in a squabble with the Department of Justice. And the next thing you know, I find myself steadily going without insurance. And a, a day came, Derek, when I had to decide, you know, was I going to be able to survive without health insurance? And right when that happened, I went with a cousin and we found the original homestead of our ancestors when they moved to Tennessee. And it was a one room cabin um, with no windows, dirt floor, a fireplace. And a family of 10 had lived in that cabin for the first winter that they were in Tennessee. They had come across on a wagon train from North Carolina and and I realized, you know, my ancestors have been on this planet for thousands of years without health insurance. 
and they made it. And and why is it I think I can't survive without health insurance? I don't need health insurance. I need health care. And um, it kind of snapped the trance. And I I made a decision to live without health insurance and to spend my money on health care, although I had very little. I was kind of living on peanut butter and jelly. And there were weeks literally where you would wake up and you would not know how you're going to feed yourself that week. You just, you know, the your wallet was empty. But one of the things I did was it forced me to really learn um, all the techniques of taking care of your health that my ancestors had used, you know, and I can't tell you how many old timey recipes I went back to. And one of the things I discovered was that ultimately I was infinitely much healthier for not being able to access the healthcare uh, system because, you know, the healthcare system wasn't talking me into you know, the fact that I had all these diseases and instead I found many ways of taking care of any health problems I had, you know, with natural remedies and outside the system. And it totally changed my paradigm. And I absolutely believe it saved my life. Getting kicked out of the healthcare system was one of the best things that ever happened to me. Now, I did two things ultimately. One was I have a AAA membership. And the one thing I would need the healthcare system for would be would be, you know, a trauma, you know, a car accident. And and so I made an effort to get really great catastrophic uh, insurance in case of a car accident. But the other thing I did was I uh, eventually joined something uh, called Samaritan Health Ministries. So there are several Christian groups that have uh, groups of people who come together in a collective and self-insure each other up to a certain amount. And um it's a way of having some protection and there are more and more of these collectives is my understanding. So, um, but it was very interesting when Obamacare came along, I went in and at the time I had essentially no income and I was living off my principal and building the business and not paying myself a salary. And I went into Obamacare and for a person living in Tennessee with zero income, my monthly health insurance would be $800 a month. And I just laughed because if you look at what I was spending on healthcare, I was spending, you know, a significant amount for preventative healthcare and other things. And it turned out to be a much better investment. So, you know, I have to tell you, I think at this point, the, the former healthcare system, other than maybe accessing good antibiotics and a few other things is, is oftentimes more dangerous than it is, um, than it is, uh, you know, I, I just think the time has come when we have to leave the system and take responsibility for our own health and know if we need to go back in for surgery or something like antibiotics, we need to know how to use the 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 formal and institutionalized health systems very, very selectively and very careful. My father was a, a very famous and successful surgeon, and he used to make us at the dinner table when we were very young promise that if we found ourselves in a hospital without our parents, that we would insist that that they only do local anesthesia so we could watch what was going on. And you would say to him, what happened at the what happened at work, daddy, that's got you thinking about this? (laughs) And he would never answer. But he was very clear that, you know, we were not to trust hospitals or doctors. 
That's some some great advice from your father, and I I really it, it really excites me to hear you say that about the healthcare aspect because I think that that is something that I haven't you know as in my adult life beyond living with my parents I haven't had health insurance either myself and it's because I've taken an approach like you're talking about where I try to live healthier and and like be preventative right instead of just reactive and okay I'm sick now I got to go get the medicines and well even but there's if, also you know our bodies are physical but they're also electromagnetic yeah. And if you go into the traditional healthcare system in, in the Western world, they will give you a vision of your body that's physical and ignore the electromagnetic. Exactly. And if you do that, it's a straight shot into being sick and dying. And, yeah, uh, and I, I think so many people see that now that it's not even maybe appropriately called healthcare really when you're thinking about the mainstream system. Right. It's disease encouragement. So, you know, I have a friend who says, uh-oh, I have a friend who went to the doctor and they put a death picture on him and now he thinks he's going to die. So um, I don't know if you, for example, if you've ever worked the read the work of Joe Dispensio, who, who yeah. talks and, he, you know, his whole focus is on on using your intelligence, your emotions to, I'm probably not going to say this the proper way, but to to basically give your electromagnetic and physical body a picture of where you want it to go and mm-hmm. then you go there and mm-hmm. um and and that's a form of a way of healing yourself and i know it works i've used it We're much it's- definitely much more than just physical beings and you know that obviously we yeah. could we could go deep on that thread but i encourage people who maybe haven't considered that and are hearing this for the first time and maybe afraid to take that leap of like well you know what if this goes wrong what if this goes wrong things can and will go wrong in life and like you said Catherine, you've sort of hedged your bets with like well i'll get the catastrophic insurance but beyond that i'm going to take care of myself in a healthy way and you know you mentioned a moment ago too just discovering like that your ancestors have been here for thousands of years and that's something that i i thought about any of this stuff no, our ancestors survived and thrived. And, you know, and this is also when we're talking about like the, okay, what's on the horizon, CBDCs. I like to, in my talks, remind people that, you know, it's, it's kind of in our modern world. It's a, you're a doomsday prepper. If you plan ahead, if you put some antibiotics aside or put some food aside, but in the same way you're talking about antibiotics aside and every, every one of our ancestors survived by looking ahead and planning for the winter and okay, I got to bail some hay so we can make it through that, you know, and if we didn't do that, we wouldn't be here. So it, the idea that now we're crazy or silly to think about that, I kind of take it, you know, take this how you will. I, I carry the strength of my ancestors with me. And I know that, like you were saying, they had to go through so much to be here. And I feel a sense of uh, not only pride, but a kind of sense of duty to them and what's coming that like, I don't want all of the work that my ancestors had to go through. It's not coming. And when it comes, it won't be a big bang. You'll be in Kentucky and the grid will go down for three weeks and you'll have yeah. to survive without three weeks of power. That's not coming. It happens. <laughs> you know, I live in, in a, in a community in Tennessee where, you know, we're going to get a snowstorm and the electricity is going to go out for two days and I've got to have a generator that'll take me through those two days. You know, and if you look around the world, people are dealing with outages. They're dealing with weather. They're dealing with all sorts of events. You know, you're in New Orleans and the floods come. So you've got to be prepared. You know, I was for many years, I was a investment advisor. You are required by the regulators to have a disaster recovery kit and a disaster recovery plan. And I've spent a lot of time as a business person coming up with disaster recovery kits. And, you know, and if you've ever had the Department of Justice come after you, you know why you need a disaster recovery plan. 
you know, I, I, you know, I try and run my operations so that I will be resilient. And the word is resilient and, and it's, we're not, we're not preparing against, you know, the asteroid hitting the planet, not to say that that couldn't happen, but we're planning against all the terrible things that happen to communities, you know, all the time and have for hundreds and hundreds of years. Hold that thought. Hey, everyone, I want to tell you about something new that I've launched this year and that's going to continue to grow in 2023. On theconsciousresistance.com, we recently launched TCRU, the Conscious Resistance University. And the first course we're hosting is my investigative journalism course, How to Become an Independent Investigative Journalist, which is now available to anyone to access. I previously did this class live. I had 14 students, and it's a six-week course where I give you all of the skills that I have, all the skills that I've learned over the last 13 years as an independent investigative journalist. We talk about how to conduct interviews. We talk about the history of journalism, key terms you should know, investigative tools, research tools. Uh, we talk about how to use social media, how to start your own website. And also, I give you a chance to complete a project and send it to me, which I will publish on theconsciousresistance.com, as well as through my independent media partners. Now, I really encourage you to check it out. You can go to theconsciousresistance.com slash TCRU. And this is the first course we're offering. Right now, there are plans to bring in several new courses in the coming months. These are going to include privacy courses on blockchain um, and cryptocurrency and using the internet just in a safe way. We're also going to hear some meditation courses from my partner Miriam. There's plans for potential courses about Spanish speaking and so much more. So I encourage you guys to sign up right now and to stay tuned for the courses that are coming. Again, the website is theconsciousresistance.com slash TCRU. Now let's get back to the conversation. It's just it's just smart planning. Uh, before we jump back to some of these uh, these questions here and talk a little bit more on the financial side, I want to probe a little further if you can. You mentioned natural remedies. I want to share my favorite with you, and maybe you can share one of your favorite natural remedies with the audience. Um, one that's just well, there's two actually that I've learned over the last couple of years. The power of oregano, which is just amazing, super strong. Well, I mean, so strong that it could burn your skin if you don't use a carrier oil with it, right? But I've used that to different times when actually years ago I had a staph infection that came and I just didn't want to rush to the hospital to go pay hundreds of dollars for them to give me a medicine or Lancet or whatever. And so I started treating it topically and internally taking uh, oregano pills, but directly with organic uh, oregano oil with a little bit of coconut oil to carry your uh-huh. oil. And it, you know, it was amazing just how quickly it can heal you. I also learned about, um, I got a sty one time my years ago and I learned from a friend who does a lot of natural medicine about barberry, which I had never heard of. Barberry, you can take the the berry and you basically turn it into, you know, a little bit of water and you do an eye wash with it. And within yeah. hours, it'll clear up, you know, so many things. Um, do you have any favorite natural remedies you like to share? Yeah, so I have a couple. And I'll tell you, at one point, I did a list of every natural remedy or sort of old timey recipe I'd used and it went on for pages like 10 pages in type. And um, I did an assessment with an energetic healer to figure out, you know, on a scale of one to 100, what was the most effective and believe it or not, you know what the number one most effective therapy was? What was that? Prayer. Prayer was what I used yeah. to figure out which one I should do. So that when I sense. had a problem and I couldn't, go to the doctor. It wasn't safe to go to the doctor. I didn't have enough money to go to the doctor. Um, and I live in a place where there's some great nurse practitioners and that's what saves a lot of us. But I would pray and pray and pray and it would come to me. 
what I should do. And then I would do that and it would work. So prayer was, for me, was the number one healthcare navigation tool. Okay, so here are my old timey recipes. Um, one of my favorite is iodine. So I, have you ever used iodine? Yeah, I have. I've, I remember after Fukushima and the concerns about uh, radiation, that's when I first started kind of getting into taking so, something with iodine. So um, I was listening in 2000 to um, Russ Blaylock and another doctor talking about iodine and the fact that uh, iodine insufficiency is one of the reasons that women get breast cancer. And um, so I got some iodine and I started to take iodine. But for years, I would always get lumps in my right breast. And um, rather than get a mammogram or go to the doctor, every time I get a lump, I just smear iodine all over my breast and they would go away. And I would say that this is probably since I listened to that interview, I've probably done that 20 plus times. And I'm convinced, Eric, if instead I'd gone to the doctor, I'm sure I would have been um, diagnosed with breast cancer. I, they would have, you know, recommended surgery, radiation, <laughs> chemotherapy. Instead, I just send, spend a couple of dollars on a bottle of iodine and it goes away. There's a great, if you go to Solera, I did a book review of a great book on iodine and I should warn that iodine is not for everybody. Some people have a negative reaction to iodine. So don't assume that it's a miracle drug for everybody, but iodine is one of the things I use. If I have a medical problem or a, you know, Everything from a cut to a lump or whatever, I use iodine and it's just magic. It goes away and very supportive of your thyroid. The other thing, which is sort of my magic rule, I won't go to any healthcare professional until I've tried iodine in this one other thing. You're going to laugh. Castor oil packs. Have you ever done castor oil packs? Yeah, I, I have it myself, but I'm familiar with it. Okay. So I, I don't know how to explain it, but castor oil packs realign your electromagnetic body with your physical body. And it's just kind of like a miracle cure. It's amazing. I can't tell you how many times I've been headed for the doctor. Instead, I do a castor oil pack. Boom. Everything's fine. It's like a magic, a miracle drug. Anyway, Are those pretty easy to, to get for most people? Is that pretty easy? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but just get very high quality. You know, get organic castor oil. Don't get any castor oil. Um, I will say this, and, and it was another thing my father taught me, you know, great water and great sleep can heal most everything. Absolutely. And, you know, that you we were talking about the electromagnetic aspect of our health. Uh, that's something that, you know, I've done. I did a documentary a few years ago on 5G and the, more specifically the dangers right. of EMFs. If you don't get proper sleep, <clears throat> it could be because you got the phone right next to you all night and you look at it the first thing in the morning or because you left the Wi-Fi yeah. plugged in or things like that or because we're constantly surrounding ourselves by these devices and yeah like you said if you don't get proper sleep then it's very difficult for your body to do any of the healing so even if you're supplementing even if you're you know eating well then your body doesn't have time to do the repairing and rebuilding it needs to so definitely something i've been trying to take more serious uh over the years because i've had trouble with sleeping and i had to i had to do you know change my habits and things until I figured out, okay, maybe it's this thing that I'm doing or it's the stress or it's some of the foods I'm eating, eating too late, things like that. Just being open to that. And I feel like even if maybe some people hearing this can't connect this to the bigger picture of the great reset and all the stuff we were talking about previously, and we're going to get back into in a moment, it's so important. I mean, the reason I personally call my website. You cannot deal with this unless you're healthy. 
Exactly. Exactly. You've got to be mentally, physically, spiritually sound. You must be healthy. And there's only one person who can get you to where you need to go in terms of health, and that's you. Absolutely. Well, so one other question I have for you before we get into these audience questions, because I know that there's a few that you would, you probably would like to get to. Um, I saw a clip recently circulating. I think it was an interview you did with CHD. And uh, it was something I, I wanted to get into you, with you when we were talking about this. So I wa- maybe we can elaborate a little further. It's the ever-present, apparently controversial question of which side of the equation, because you have to pick a side of the virus or there's no virus and this kind of thing. And this is something I've talked about previously with people like Del Bigtree. And you know, he does a lot of work exposing the vaccine dangers and filing lawsuits. And I think really, you know, the fruit of his labors are there, but still gets very uh, heavy criticism from people for not focusing on what they think is the most important thing or, you know, is the, the question of the day is viruses don't exist or COVID doesn't exist. And if you're not saying that, then you're basically a shill or whatever. And in this clip I saw, you were pointing out, which I agree with, that this is, even if there's a place for the discussion, which I think there is, it has become so divisive that there's plenty of people spending their time doing that, arguing or just, you know, about this thing instead of, taking care of their health, mental, physical, spiritually, taking care of, you know, getting their money right or getting their family right, these kinds of things, right? So could you talk more about that? Like, Do you think these sure. discussions, so, these debates have a place or are they really just, you know, distraction, division? Well, this is a great, you know, this is a great conversation. And in fact, I'm about to record a, a debate, uh, a friendly debate with Tom Cowan, Dr. Tom Cowan, about this very issue to kind of get it all flushed out and cleared. But um, first of all, one of the most important things, I was very lucky when the pandemic started because I'd had a 20-year education by John Rappaport <laughs> about medical fraud. And viruses have been used fraudulently for generations. And of course, to me, COVID-19 is just another virus fraud um, where you're using a, a, uh, the existence of a virus that you claim to implement an operation. So, so this was a virus fraud. Now, the question is, was the disease that was happening one thing and was it caused by a virus or not? Those are both questions. Now, one of the things John taught me for, you know, in and out of many pandemics and epidemics, you know, sort of healthcare frauds was it's never one thing. And if I had to make a guess, I would guess that all the different disease attributed to COVID-19 was many different things, including biological, low-grade biological warfare and chemical warfare. So, um, and I think, you know, what John would say is they prefer chemical warfare to biological warfare because it gives them much greater control. But, you know, the idea that we had one thing and it happened all over the world. Um, you know, I just don't buy it. I'm sure you've read The Invisible Rainbow, Arthur Furstenberg's book on the Spanish flu. Um, you know, but we had a couple things going on. We had the annual flu. We had all sorts of repurposing at the hospitals. We had the rollout of 5G and EMF radiation. We had incredible spraying. Many of the times, we would get complaints about quote unquote COVID-19 in place. We were getting significant global spraying. Anyway, so, but disease was happening. And the question was what caused those different diseases 
your guess is as good as mine. Maybe, you know, maybe some of those diseases were biological warfare and maybe they were a virus or maybe they were something else. I don't know. Maybe they were a bacteria. I don't know. The, the, the question of whether the virus fraud was attributed to a virus that was fraudulently created or fraudulently marketed to me is not an important issue. So this whole debate of do viruses exist or not is of interest to the scientists. But if my goal is to stop the control grid, because the, the fraud was just to promote the control grid. And I, I don't care about the details of how they promoted the fraud. I care about stopping the control grid. That's what matters. I, I want to be free and I want you to be free. I want everybody listening to us to be free. Freedom is what I'm for. And, and the fraud was to engineer the control grid and debating or solving the issue of was there a virus or not? Do viruses exist or not? Has absolutely no impact to stop the control grid. Now, when I talk with Tom or many people I know who feel very passionate about this issue, including John Rappaport, they believe that if you persuade everybody that viruses don't exist, they will have an epiphany and that will magically get them to back out of the control grid, which I, I just completely 100% disagree with. If you, if you study how the control grid works, how it operates, how it manipulates people, you know, the control grid will be as strong and in effect as it was the day before. And I assure you, their ability to spray and create disease with chemical warfare or low-grade biological warfare will be as present as it was the day before. Yeah, I think that's a great point that, you know, and I tend to agree. This is one of the things Dell and I were talking about that for, even from a strategic standpoint, which for me, I very much do care about the way I reach people, the way I communicate people and having done as yourself as well, done a lot of talks in person and meeting all kinds of people, <clears throat> you learn how to reach an audience and generally speaking, beating them over the head with the most extreme, let's say theory that, Hey, this whole thing is fake. It doesn't exist at all in my experience at least, doesn't tend to lead to some sort of light bulb going off immediately. But if I start with the low, you know, if I wanted to get into the mechanics of COVID and try to do that at all, instead of like you're saying, explain what's coming, I believe there are other more subtle ways to lead people to questioning and then hopefully get them to solutions. And it doesn't feel like starting off with the virus question is is what's going to lead there, at least not for me. Okay, so let me tell you where I think the right way to go with this is. To me... The virus versus no virus is a tiny subset of a much bigger and much more important discussion. And that discussion is how does our reality work, both our electromagnetic reality and our physical reality? And I'm not a scientist, so this is something I can't begin to understand, let alone to successfully communicate, Derek. But one of the things I know, whether it's taking care of our health, whether it's building a community, whether it's building a family or relationships, the more we understand our electromagnetic body and how we share and communicate intelligence, you know, the more sophisticated and successful our understanding of the world would be. And if you look at the traditional medicine, the reason it falls down is it looks at our bodies as though it's a, you know, just a physical body and it doesn't incorporate, you know, the electromagnetic paradigm. So if you read Steiner on health, Steiner makes more sense to me than most doctors 
because Steiner is looking at the electromagnetic reality of our bodies and our health. If you talk to Dr. Tom Cowan, the reason I love his work, he's trying to integrate a full paradigm of the electromagnetic, you know, including the epigenetics. It's not just genetics, it's epigenetics. And, and I think the, the paradigm we've been presented with is a hyper materialist paradigm and it just doesn't begin to describe how our world and our bodies and our minds really work. Now, one of the things I've discovered about Mr. Global and the team we're up against is I think not only do they have magnificent understanding of how those things work, but they're masters of manipulating it. And if we want to protect ourselves and our families from manipulation and and being targeted by things like chemical warfare and low-grade biological warfare, we need to understand how those things work. We need to be able to protect our electromagnetic body from their manipulation and nudging. So I think changing our paradigm is very, very important because it can unlock so many secrets about how we keep ourselves healthy, healthy and how we navigate a world where somebody's trying to kill us, literally. Absolutely. Yeah, I, that's a great point. And uh, maybe when we wrap up, I want to actually ask you a couple more questions about Rudolf Steiner. Uh, but one thing on this topic, one more thing before we get to the audience questions. What are your thoughts on the that particular crowd or the, those who argue that there's no viruses also attempt to discount things like gain of function research and in some cases essentially say there's nothing going on in those labs. It's just taxpayer money. You know, it's it's all a fraud. It's all a facade. So I think the deep state, you know, or the, you know, it's a variety of players. I think there's an enormous amount of money that has been invested in determining how to use poisons as a weapon. So when I litigated with the Department of Justice, I was poisoned eight eight times. And some of those were not serious. A few of those were very serious. One of them was life-threatening. And And because of that, you know, when it first started, Derek, I didn't understand that it was happening and that it was a tactic. You know, I thought that that kind of thing couldn't happen to people like me. I was very wealthy, very successful. I had a very good reputation, you know, and the next day you wake up and you're being poisoned and you're being poisoned repeatedly. And, um, you know, and 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 you just can't fathom that this is really happening to you. And it it took me a long time to to adjust to the fact that this could happen. And then I started to really study it. And I, at one point I hired, I tried to hire some experts to help me learn about low grade biological warfare and how to live with it and how to survive and how to defeat it anyway. But, but, you know, so I have a lot of stories on these counts and then I dealt with electromagnetic weaponry in combination with the poisoning. And I had to learn about that. And what I studied, what I realized was one of the most successful weapons of war, whether it's covert or overt, is poisoning. Because that's all we're talking about. We're talking about different ways of poisoning people, whether it's with GMO foods, whether it's with synthetic food, whether it's with pharma food, whether it's with the spraying that's going overhead, whether it's with something that they've concocted in a lab. So poisoning in all of its various forms, and these are all just fancy words for poisoning, poisoning has been a centuries-old, very successful tactic, 
and it's surprisingly common and it's much more common in America than most people realize. I, I can't tell you how many deaths have been caused by poisoning that were covert hits and not somebody just getting sick and dying. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we know they have the technology and the tools to do it. So it, it's not surprising to, uh, to imagine that some of the deaths we might witness for various reasons actually have a deeper political reason behind them. Right. Uh, so let me get to some of these questions here. I got quite a few and some of them I think are in line with the solutions, which we're trying to focus on. Um, this one goes back to maybe what we were talking about in the beginning is says this is coming from Twitter. It says we've had nine months of def- deflation and consumer prices are still rising. Will the fed keep tightening to achieve their 2% inflation goal or will, will some new crisis force them to pivot and destroy the global monetary system. So more just about like, what do you think about the Fed's uh, moves coming up in terms of inflation? I think you kind of touched on this. So I, don't, I don't understand what they mean about nine months of deflation. We've had nine months of inflation. Yeah, maybe their interpretation's wrong. But generally, do you think you see the Fed making any moves to maintain that, you know, this steady inflation? Or, you know, you talked a little bit about that well, earlier as far the as... Fed, the Fed is raising interest rates. And that is helping to slow, that's, that's doing demand destruction. So, so higher interest rates is causing the air to come out of the bubble in a variety of ways. That's reducing, you know, that's engineering deflation that offsets your inflation. If the Fed hadn't been doing that, inflation would be, you know, we'd be, we'd be approaching probably hyperinflation now. I can only guess. But remember, you're talking about a machinery and and that's creating monetary inflation and and the going direct meant that they were injecting money directly in the economy, which is going to kick off, you know, depending on other factors, price inflation. Um, and and what you're seeing is demand destruction and pandemics and these other tactics used to destroy demand in a way that will offset that inflation. So um, but but it allows you to selectively destroy demand in the areas where you you will tolerate demand destruction and not in others. So we see during the pandemic incredible amounts of money injected into SPACs, 250 billion flying into blind pools going out of the stock market. More than 50 percent of the IPOs during that period were blind pools, you know, uh, you know, if you wanted to build something on the smart grid or do life sciences and synthetic food, there was all the money on the planet. You, there was tons of money. If you had a small business in Missouri or San Francisco, you were slaughtered and couldn't get, you know, you, you could get government PPL, but you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't generate revenues or, or make a profit. You were being destroyed. Yeah. And the so, investments are going to the biosynthetic, uh, industry as you're saying yeah so our annual wrap-up on for you know we'll publish it later this month is on it's called pharma food and it's my for it was my first chance to really learn a lot it's written by a wonderful dutch researcher and author elsa von hamlin and um it's a real deep look at pharma food synthetic food and um just when you think it can't get worse it gets worse. It can get worse, yeah. Well, let me move to one more uh, for you. This one is just super basic. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you have one more? I just wanted to say, if you look at the capital that is pouring in to to all of these operations to make synthetic food that 
that makes no economic sense. There is no way to make a profit on any of this stuff, not even close. And and there is hundreds of billions of dollars pouring in, you know, without any fundamental attraction uh, economics to, uh, you know, to attract it. The plant-based meat is a complete failure. The Beyond Meat stock is down 85% for the year. So, you know, all all I'm saying is there's, if it's a sector that Mr. Global is trying to build the control grid, there is all the money in the planet. There is no shortage of money. Absolutely. And you're right that there's not necessarily like the people in the streets demanding this biosynthetic alternative. It's them funding (laughs) and putting money into it. There's one company that viewers of my regular work might remember, uh, Ginkgo Bioworks. I did a a investigation with them last year. They just kind of caught my eye because they'd worked with DARPA. And then just a few months back, the former VP of Ginkgo Bioworks was appointed by Biden to the head of the new BARDA agency, which is basically the health DARPA. So she's coming from a DARPA background, coming from background saying, we're going to be able to change our genes from day to day and you'll be able to eat biosynthetic material. And so it's, it's definitely, those are, that's where the money's going. Like you said, not, not thinking that our cells and our bodies are machines. Exactly. That's, then that's the language. I mean, we hear that from people like Elon Musk as well, the upgrade, the download, the, 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 that sort of thing. Um, this one is really simple. Where should we put our money? Obviously it's kind of a big open ended question, but I think that's a lot of, a lot of things people are asking. There's a follow up to that. Someone said, especially those of us that are not exactly young anymore and will be needing that nest egg in the next 10 to 15 years. So I did something called episode uh, on, I do a show on CHD TV called Financial Rebellion. If you look up episode 31, the title is Where to Stash Your Cash in 2022. And I walk through, I think, 35 places that you should stash your cash. And it's about how to spread your money around in a way that is much more resilient. So take a look at that. We also have on the Solaire Report a building wealth curriculum. And it's a way of walking through all our material on the Salida report that that is all completely focused on how you build wealth. And it goes through all the different aspects. It's six different components, including living and financial equity, because what I try and tell people, your living equity and your financial equity are two sides of the same coin. And the most frightening thing, Derek, in my career is to see people spend a fortune of time or effort to build their financial wealth and then literally give it all away with a vaccine injury or a stupid healthcare choice. And that's why in this environment, in, in a very warlike environment, you, you've got to integrate your living equity strategy with your financial equity strategy and do them together. So. Um, well, I'll put those links there for anybody who wants to see that. Cause I know that there's definitely going to be some interest in that. That was, that was probably. In different ways, uh, a majority of the questions, and this one kind of ties into it. This is directly to you, but also I think um, just kind of the conversation. The person is asking from Twitter, does Catherine have any investment interests with any of the infrastructure that are bringing out the digital ID, the CBDC, health passports? And if so, why? But also I think for me what's interesting is the, that conversation about people's investments all over and things that might be profitable, but potentially are funding and supporting the very enslavement right. systems that are being built. Right. So here's what I try and do. And remember, it's not zero to a hundred because we have to live in this world. So the first thing I do is I, my number one investment is what I call the people bank. So um, for example, when I settled the litigation 
uh, I got a lot of money uh, or my company got a lot of money. And my CPA said, you know, you you destroyed and wiped out your 401k to, um, uh, you know, to handle the litigation. So why don't we refund your 401k? And I said, nope, I'm never putting another time into my 401k. Um, I'm going to take that money and put it out on the people bank. And I bonused it out to all the people who helped me win and who without whom I would never have lived. And the reason I did that, Derek, and I think I told you the story before, is when the litigation hit, it turned out the one source of credit and and money they could not cut off was the fact that I had gifted or lent um, 250000 to family and friends. And everybody got together and said, well, I guess she needs it back. And that was the money that kept me alive. So, you know, it sort of trickled back. And at the end of the 11 year period, I counted it up and I, they had gifted or, or paid me back 250,000. If it wasn't for that money, I would never have made it. So when the litigation hit, I put a lot of money back out. Instead of putting it in the 401k, I put it out in the people bank. And, um, and the second thing I did is I started my own company. So I spend a lot of money, whether it's on my health or, my education, you know, if you saw what I spent on research and books, you'd, you'd faint. Um, but I spent a lot of money on intellectual and capital and intelligence. And I spent a lot of money on building Solari. And, um, you know, my preferred investment is always to find a new journalist who we can fund doing a new thing and, and sort of building our actionable intelligence network. So, you know, those, the people bank and Solari are my biggest two. After that, obviously, I have a home and a property. I just paid off my mortgage last year because John Titus came up with some scary scenarios on legal tender. And I said, you know, I'm just not going to worry this anymore. I'm just going to pay off my mortgage. So um, getting out of debt is one of my favorite ways of, you know, sort of people investing their money. Because this is an environment where if you get hung on debt, you could get yourself in real trouble. Then, of course, I love precious metals. And at Solari, we have a... uh you know, we make a Solari coin, a one ounce silver coin. And so uh, as silver was coming down this year, it's up for the year. But as it was coming down last year, I was buying more and more silver. So I like precious metals, but I don't think it's a magic bullet. If you come to my home in Hickory Valley, what you'll see is I've spent a lot of money building, you know, planting trees, building orchards, getting a generator, doing various things to the properties to make it more resilient and um uh you know, I have a well, I have, uh, you know, it, it, it's just a much more resilient homestead than when I first bought it. So that's another one. Now I do have money in the equity markets. I, I love stocks. I have a, one of my companies, a screen company and I screen the stocks to, um, my goal is to find companies that are fundamentally productive and not doing engaging in things, which I would call fraud or organized crime, you know, even if they're legal. So I'm looking for companies that, you know, sort of contribute to making uh, a, a more free and uh, inspired life for everybody. And I do everything I can to stay away from companies that are involved in the smart grid or the control grid, certainly the big financial institutions. Now, because I do screening, then I can invest money. And I am part of a savings program where every month I just put more money in, but I'm buying into great companies. And one of the most positive things about what I do is when you when you look at companies all around the world and you screen them for whether or not they're fundamentally productive and not involved in illegal or unethical activities, what you realize is 
there are so many great people doing so many great things and building companies to do great things, you know, and we never hear about them, but they're, what they do is phenomenal. One of the tragedies of the pandemic was, you know, there, there were companies on my screen that I thought were some of the greatest companies in the world that I had to throw off because of what they did with vaccine mandates. And it was horrible to watch companies that, that for decades, to your knowledge, had done a great job of listening and caring about their employees and a great job of listening and caring about their shareholders and done a really great job of running a good business that made a profit and pay a dividend literally be destroyed by the policies that they adopted during the pandemic. It was heartbreaking to watch. Well, I, I appreciate though hearing that and that, you know, you feel strongly enough that when people enact policies like that, that go against your principles that, you know, whether it's a hard decision, like you said, oh, this is a good company I was for, but um, I think that's something that people really need to consider, right? This is the whole voting with your dollar. And we do have that power in so many different ways. So uh, I appreciate you sharing those ideas. And so one of the things I didn't mention is get yourself a great bank. If, if you're going to do banking transactions, whether it's a community bank or a credit union, if you have an honest bank that does a good business and cares about its customers, in this environment, you are so much safer. If it's well-governed, well-managed, well-capitalized, and close to the ground, close to its customers, it it is so much safer in so many different ways. Well, thank you for that advice, Captain. I'm going to end on a little bit of a different note. I mentioned Rudolf Steiner on uh-huh. I've really, so I noticed that I've, I've been getting into Rudolf Steiner a lot recently, reading his bi- biography and just his essays and such. And I noticed, uh, that Solari has, uh, like a series of studies on, um, the work of Rudolf Steiner. And so I was curious, like, is that coming from your specific interest or someone on the team or has his, cause I noticed like when you were talking about, for example, the electromagnetic body, us being beyond, um, just physical beings, yeah. which I also believe epigenetics. I mean, these are a lot of ideas that he's been talking about for a couple hundred years now. So has he been an influence? His work has it been an influence on you? So I have a long history with this cause I love to read, but Steiner wrote so much and the, you know, you have all these collections of his lectures, sort of an overwhelming amount of work. And I off and on, we would have subscribers who were anthroposophists who would try and encourage me to read it. And it just seemed like an overwhelming task. And then I had a subscriber who was a dedicated anthroposophist who loved to read Steiner. And I was in the process, you know, for many years, I drove everywhere in the United States. So I would go on these marathon drives and she offered to read Steiner to me while I was on, you know, on the on the speakerphone while I was driving down the highway. And so I ultimately ended up reading 10 of Steiner's books that way. And it was fascinating. I loved it. And so uh, I learned more about more about Steiner. And she was insisted that I had to meet Thomas Meyer, who lives in outside of Basel, Switzerland, and is a incredible uh, he has a publishing company and he publishes lectures and materials related to Steiner. Um, but he's a marvelous thinker and philosopher and student of Steiner and teacher of Steiner. And, um, and so I got to meet, I was in Zurich and, and Thomas came over, I don't know, it was about 2012. And the next thing you know, we started talking and doing interviews and he started, you know, teaching some of the works of Steiner on biodynamic agriculture, education, the Walter schools, which I think is very helpful and useful 
to everybody. But anyway, so so I just became very. Uh, I just found that Thomas was somebody he was a teacher that I wanted my audience to tap into. And one thing led to another. And Thomas and I have done many, many discussions. And finally, I said, you know, my audience wants to understand Tyner, but they just can't read 300 books. So would you put up a lecture series? And we called it Spiritual Science Academy. And I've asked Thomas to just produce a series of lectures so that if you want to understand what Rudolf Steiner said, who he was, what he taught, you can kind of, you know, get it within a reasonable period of time. So it's up at spiritualscience.solary.com or you can link to it from the homepage. And I just think it's a, it's a invaluable body of work, um, that I find to be very interesting and fascinating. And I always find that Steiner's take on things, um, you know, it opens my mind and it gets me to look at the world in a, in a very different way. And part of it is, you know, again, I was brought up in a hyper materialist world and Steiner helps you look at the, you know, sort of the energetic and spiritual world in an integrated way with the physical. And a lot of what he says, I don't always understand, um, you know, cause he'll say this will happen in 3000 years. You know, I, I, I don't know, <laughs> but um, so a lot of things I don't understand and sometimes I don't always agree, but I always find it useful in terms of giving me another perspective or take on my world. So I, I enjoy Steiner and I find it a very productive um, avenue of study. Yeah, absolutely. I, and with this, uh, this bio here, which is just called Rudolf Steiner, an introduction to his life and work from Gary Lockman. He kind of takes a similar approach. Um, I'm going to be doing a video breakdown, by the way, of this soon for anybody who's interested, but the same thing, kind of saying, look, whether or not you believe in his theories and his claims of what civilization used to be like or will be like, there's a lot to, to pull out of it from it. And specifically, I love his, uh, his ability just to communicate the importance of what we've been talking about here, the, the world right. beyond just the five senses and beyond just the physical. Right. It's so valuable. Well, Catherine, it's been great talking with you. I want to mention the last thing here, which is, of course, that we have you speaking at the Greater Reset for coming up January 18th to the 22nd, so just, uh-huh. just under two weeks. Uh, for anybody who hasn't heard me promoting this for the past six months, I encourage you to check out thegreaterreset.org. We're going to have 40-plus amazing speakers, some live in Texas, some live in Mexico, and some presenting online as Catherine. And Catherine, next year I would love to have you come in person to Mexico since I know you oh, like to visit. You know, I, I, was, to I told here. you I was in Guadalajara in, um, in September, and I love Mexico. I would love to come to Mexico. So Wonderful. We'll, we'll make it happen. Yeah, we'll make it happen. Guys, you can find that at thegreaterreset.org. And of course, you can watch for free totally online. So you'll be able to hear Catherine as she goes more into some of her thoughts. And uh yeah, thank you so much, Catherine. I mean, anything else you want to say for we're at the beginning of 2023, right? So who knows where we'll be in 12 months so from now. I do, I do want to tell you one other thing. If you come to Solari, we just published um something called Backcasting 2030. So have you ever done a backcasting? Do you know what a backcasting is? No, I'm not familiar. Okay, so I used to do this when I started. I had my own investment back in Washington in the 90s. A backcasting is when you go into the future and um, and you walk around in the world that you're trying to create. And whatever it is you're trying to do, whatever your goals are, you've been successful. So you're walking around and you're feeling, you're emotionally feeling your success. 
And, um, and then you tell the story of how you accomplished it, you know, how you got from here to there. And so we did a backcasting called Backcasting 2030 and it's 2030. Freedom has won and we are celebrating. Freedom is just everywhere and the economy is decentralizing and people are becoming more prosperous. And we're gathering around the campfire in 2030. Apparently, Klaus Schwab is in a state of deep depression. Corey Lynn says that he and his buddies are in his home in the Alps in a state of depression, drinking Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> and, and, I love that. And, and uh, anyway, so so we go on and on about how great things are. And we talk about the fact that 2023 turned out to be the pivotal year when everything turned. Absolutely. And I had nine of our show hosts and allies from the Solari Report. We had all written stories of what happened in 2023 that pivoted things and sent us into a world of freedom. So that we had all written and shared our stories, but then everybody came in and one by one presented them. And um, and what was amazing you know, this is a process where you're in the imagination room, you're in the invention room and you're just making stuff up and you come up with all these dorky, crazy ideas. But, you know, out of 50 ideas, it turns out there are two that are like, well, wait a minute, that's a great idea. That could really work. Anyway, so so we did this thing and we published it. Um, the producer at Financial Rebellion, CHDTV, has done a 10 minute short, which we'll put up and our team's doing a four minute short. So you don't have to watch the whole thing. but um, what happened was, you know, and this gets back to this electromagnetic thing, Derek, we all got in such a positive mood and started figuring out we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. And ever since we did it, because we recorded it on the 30th, we've just been in this incredibly positive action mode, feeling great, you know, and we're looking at 2023 as a year of incredible opportunity. That's, that's amazing. That's great. I, you know, I, I can't tell you what it did for our morale. And you know something? Everybody can do this. Exactly. Just get your friends together. And, you know, I always say, don't ask if there is a conspiracy. If you're not in one, you need to start one. <laughs> and just do a backcasting and cook up. What is it you can do in 2023 that's going to push us towards a world of freedom? Absolutely. I'm telling you, you'll feel great. I agree. And actually, I wrote a uh, an essay for The Last American Vagabond in 2022, which was kind of a similar approach. I called it Welcome to 2030. I own land, live amongst like-minded people and never have never been happier. And it was just the same there thing. There you are. There and you go. Thinking, like where I want to go. And that's very much also, you know, to to wrap up here with what we're doing with the greater reset and why we want to have people like you on there, because, you know, our, we're calling it co-creation this, this year. So the theme we're asking all the speakers and everybody coming, just think about that. How are we going to co-create the world of our dreams, right? We can obsess over what they want and their plans for 2030 and assume, Oh my God, I'm going to own nothing and be happy just buying into their narrative. Or we can start, as you're saying, creating and imagining, well, what do we want? And I agree with you. I think 2023 is really a pivotal year for where we're going and I hope everybody will take some time to do that and to really think about with you, your friends, your family, your church, whatever you have, uh, what is the, you know, 2023 20, and beyond going to look like for you and really put some thought into that so we can all put our energy into creating it and making it a physical reality. So one last message. Um, the doctor that I talk to the most and know the best says the thing that killed the most people over the last three years was fear. In other words, they would talk themselves into 
you know, and then the next thing you know, they'd go into the wrong hospital and they'd end up dead. What I heard in the backcasting that every person came up with for different reasons and in different ways is the human race just roared out of fear. We just left fear behind. And that's, you know, my prayer for everybody listening to this is we just all come out of fear and just know that freedom can happen if we make it so. Absolutely. And that's that's a great place to end, guys. Here's to leaving the fear behind in 2022 and, and before and 2023 and going forward being a time of creation, abundance and uh and yeah, and doing the tough work, that internal work, the spiritual work, the physical work, all the things that are necessary so that we can build the world we want. My guest today has been Catherine Austin Fitz for another powerful conversation here on The Activation. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Talk to you soon. You have been listening to The Activation Podcast, brought to you by the Conscious Resistance Network. You can find the archives of our show at Pinecast, Spotify, and theconsciousresistance.com. Thank you for listening.